Hello, I'm Andrew Gentile. And I'm Ariana. And you're listening to Behind the Flicks. This show is all about me sharing as many facts as I know about filmmaking and directors and behind the scenes <laughs> info about movies and whatnot to Ariana. And you'll join us for the ride. Okay, so let, let me give it just a brief introduction uh, for today's guest. I am thrilled to have her on today's episode. <laughs> she is the co-writer and star of my latest short film, Unnatural Beast, which can uh, be found on Independent Career Studios' YouTube channel. And one of the most talented and lovely people I've ever met. Frankly, I, you know, I, you know, I, I mean no offense to all my other actors I worked with, uh, including Ariana. <laughs> including um, Ariana. Thanks for adding that. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say in terms of commitment to performance and the, the range of the performance, I think Lizzie gave the best performance I've, I've been given the pleasure of having on one of my films thus far. So please, uh, let's introduce Elizabeth Whitfield. Lizzie, how are you? Uh, Freaking, I am so good. I am admittedly a little bit nervous for those listening at home. This is my first time being on a podcast. And so I'm like, dead space, dead space, gotta say words. Oh my gosh. But hey, you gotta face your fears. We're talking about horror movies. Here we fucking go. Um, and Andrew, what a, um, introduction. Very sweet. Thank you. I had so much fun making that movie. I was on my knees in the dirt so much. And that's how, you know, you had a good time. So. Yes. I, I asked a lot of you and you really, you committed and you met the challenge. And I encourage anybody who wants to cast her in a film to reach out to her or work with her in, in any capacity. By the way, can, can I just add before we get started? I'm editing these episodes to remove the ums and ahs. Like, so if, okay. if you really pay, if the if the listeners really pay attention to this episodes, you, it's edited like crazy. Like Ariana has talked about, like let's do a live episode for the 25th episode, and I'm like, no, <laughs> I'll be like, you're duh, duh, duh. so afraid of ums and ahs. Oh my gosh, beware the um and the. <laughs> That was, that was the greatest lo- response could have asked for. I'm, yes. I went on this one. Just, I enjoy the flow when we're just sitting here. I love it. You see, I craft things. You know, I I have to make sure it's all. Yes, exactly. Liddy's yeah. got it. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> once every year, every twenty five sure. episodes. Sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. So just real quick, I want to get it out of the way. Um, speaking of horror. Yeah. Right before I hopped on this call, literally like, I don't know, 10 minutes before, I get a call from my grandpa Dougie on my mom's side, and he never calls me, basically. Um, we don't, you know, talk very often. And I live right across the street from my sister Sarah. So he goes, hey, I need you to go to your sister's apartment right now and tell her to call me. And I'm like, okay, what's uh, what's going on? And he kind of dances around it a little bit. But he's like, I want you to stay on the phone and walk to her apartment and like even give her your phone. Like he's just like, I need to talk to her right fucking now. So it turns out, I don't know if you guys have been seeing um, stories about this on the Internet, but scammers are now using AI to fake an emergency call from a family member to another family member to scam them. So what happened is that a voice that sounded exactly like my sister Sarah called my grandpa and said that she was in jail and she needed to be paid bail and he paid over nine 
$5,000 to bail her out. And he was calling to kind of confirm his suspicion that he was just scammed and to make sure she wasn't in jail and that that wasn't happening. So that happened to me 10 minutes before I came on this call. That's wild. That's crazy. What the fuck? So we all need like code words for our family. Like if there's an emergency pineapple, like that's how you know the shit is serious or whatever. Yeah. Except now you can never use pineapple because you know, they're always listening, which is why they can get your voice. And AI. Oh, shit. Fuck. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Then you have to come up with the safe word in person with your people. Exactly. Like, not over the phone, not over message, fucking in person, if you can. I mean, Jesus. And then go on airplane mode uh, while the iPhone <laughs> or whatever, uh, your whatever your phone is, is near you. Uh-huh. To be honest, I am not convinced that our phones are constantly listening just because I've watched a couple right. videos that like deep dive into why it can seem that way. It's more of like they're tracking all of our data on the yeah. phone. And if you're in the midst of somebody and they Google something, da 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 da, kind of triangulates and starts showing you shit that it thinks you would have talked about. Anyway, I'm not yeah. fully convinced, <laughs> but at the same time, who fucking knows, okay? Yeah. Who fucking knows? Yeah, If even if they don't listen all the time, I think they listen enough to creep me out. Yes, I would say that is legit. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. So that happened, and I'm very sorry that, that happened, happened to you. I know, my poor grandpa. I really feel for him, you know? That sucks a lot. Um, and it was weird, too, because usually when you read about shit like that on the internet it doesn't you know doesn't often happen to you so right in my own goddamn backyard (laughs) so i guess it's a real ass thing now we know psa everybody listening pineapple (laughs) well i'm glad that it wasn't anything major at least and that i know you know for some random reason you got to talk to your grandpa for five minutes yeah, yeah, no, definitely, you know, not, not the, the context I would have yeah. wanted, but yeah. that's okay. It's hilarious, because right before that, my fucking cousin David, who never calls me, called, and I was just like, hello, 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 like, you guys, I'm on a podcast, I can't do this right now. It always <laughs> happens in life when you're busy, everybody and their mother needs something when you're busy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's a fantastic excuse for being you know a minute or two late over my i don't know where my microphone is (laughs) i win yes (laughs) but you know to piggyback on you winning and what everything andrew said about how wonderful you were in the movie i just want to say i completely agree with that you know luckily i i mean not i mean unluckily i haven't been there to like um see all of andrew's projects start to finish but i've seen like the last in the past few years and all of the people that were in those movies and um i agree you were just absolutely fantastic you were so professional and fun and you could just put up with everything that happened and you know deliver and it was great to work with you i'm really glad we got to do that good so friggin sweet y'all are just boosting me right up i feel (laughs) like i feel like sunshine you know, so fucking sweet. Yeah. And let's just bring the rain down with the Blair Witch Project. Yes. Yeah, man. Fuck. Blair Witch Project. <laughs> All right. Now we move on to the next part. Okay. Ariana, can we get a review of this episode's film? 
oh, this episode's film. It's fresh in my brain because I just finished watching it about, about an hour ago. And okay. it was the only other time I've watched it since the first time I watched it, which was probably like preteens. I was I was a 93 baby. And so I probably watched it like by my preteen area because it had definitely been out before that. And I remember questioning whether or not it was real <laughs> and having to like do my research and ask other people and watching it the second time, obviously knowing, you know, that it's a movie. Um, it still is a really like wild ride and like um, a very intense film for a documentary style, quote unquote, podcast people <laughs> type of film. It's basically about these three student filmmakers that decide to pack up all their stuff and go into a seemingly haunted wood that um, could or could not potentially uh, actually the film tells you right away they definitely disappear in these woods um, but they're setting a legend called the Blair Witch Project or the Blair Witch that apparently like killed kid or inspired a man to kill kids potentially it's pretty choppy about what the legend is and exactly what it represents you you get the little piece of information your brain goes wild the whole time and then crazy stuff starts to happen very, very fast. <laughs> and it doesn't stop until really the end of the movie. And uh, it's, I really loved it. I would give this one probably, I would give it a solid A. Just because of the ride it takes you on. You know, you're really invested the whole time. And I, uh, I love that it's like, visually it's very horror-like. But the feeling of it is almost actiony. Like you're, you get excitement mm -hmm. and suspense, and then exposure, and it's just a wild, wild ride the whole time. So I really love the way that the filmmakers chose to do that and how real it really felt. I would not want to watch this movie in a VR headset. Never in a million oh, years would I. Do Jesus that. <laughs> it would be terrifying. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 I would agree. Also, are we allowed to do spoilers about this film? This movie came out in 1999, right? Okay, yes. uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was released in 99. Um, so, okay, it's fair game to yeah. those. If you haven't seen Blair Witch Project, maybe just go and watch it and then come back because it's really worth it to not know what the fuck happens. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember the first time I watched the movie and I can only imagine what it was like for people who thought it was real. And of course we'll get into that because my God, the production and distribution of this film is just so unique. Um, but it comes off so real feeling you know what I mean I've seen so many found footage movies since because admittedly found footage horror is um, one of my top favorite horror genres which when you say that in a room full of film buffs you get very mixed reactions because some <laughs> people think found footage is super fun and some people think it is super boring and cheesy and overdone and both sides have very valid points um, but just with everything I've seen since then, this was such a legit jumping off point for found footage. And I think that this film is why that genre has become so saturated, because you got to see how, you know, a very low budget, bare bones production can produce something that is so immersive. You know, there's there's so much wiggle room in that. And it was just completely like a trailblazer. Ha 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 ha. Trailblazer because they're in the woods. 
But if only they had stayed on a trail. <laughs> um, <laughs> they did not. They did not. Um, I laughed way too yeah. hard at that. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. And something too that like uh, stands out to me about the film is um how exciting that even just the beginning is when they're kind of basically it starts out with the three filmmakers um they're shooting a documentary right about the Blair Witch legend in this town in Maryland and they're going around and interviewing you know the the folk who live in the town about the legend and it's just lovely because these people give amazing performances you could totally believe that this is absolutely real because they just seem like that older woman that you met next door to your grandma just and it is so mixed legend either she's covered in fur or she's a hand coming out of a river or she like it's just such a multifaceted legend and again i am so excited to get into the production because my God, I have so much to say. And if you let me, I will go and go and go. So feel free to hop in at any point because (laughs) I won't, I won't lie. Watching this movie, it's probably the first movie of the ones we've covered on the podcast so far that I feel like outlandishly excited to see the behind the flicks facts about this movie. Like I can't wait to see what, where it came from and how it produced and how well it did and all the research I haven't done. I'm so glad hopefully he's here. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I've, I have prepared some facts. That's my usual job as the faux historian on the show. Maybe I'll say some facts and then Lizzie, I'll let you, you can just jump in whenever or whoever can jump in whenever. I Um, am feeling like, you know, just real quick before we get started, um, from what I'm about to say about the film, I just want to give some sources. Um, I have a article titled 17 found facts about the Blair Witch Project on mental floss, um, an article on the guardian called how we made the Blair Witch Project. Um, box office amounts that I'll name are literally on a website called The Numbers, of course, Blair Witch Wikipedia, and um, the Blair Witch Project FAQ on tripod.com. Just want to put those out there. Okay, there were sources. Thank you so much for doing that. I can't believe yeah. I never really thought about doing something like that on the show. And it's pretty cool that if people want the deeper dive and read it for themselves, like you just tell them. Heck yeah. Um. Yeah, that yeah, man, I I feel like I didn't do my well, I didn't do my job. I I wrote a page, I, I wrote like a page and a half of notes, uh, but that's about it. Uh, Lizzie, I mean, same. Well, but but Lizzie, uh, remind me, you wrote about this in college, you said. So yeah, I took, and of course, for those who don't know, Andrew and I met in film school in De Anza Community College, California. Um, I took a. Uh, production class and we were assigned to break down the whole production process of a film and I chose the Blair Witch Project and did a whole presentation and it's still saved on my fucking Google Drive (laughs) so that's that's a big reason why I chose this film um, is because I know a lot about it and it is so 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 unique in its production so 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 unique so feel free to get started Andrew and I will gladly jump in (laughs) Okay, um, so but first, before before we even get into the facts, I want to know what is it about this film, Lizzie, that you love? 
or like uh, or don't like what what do you what do you like about it what do i love about this film um you know first thing that comes to mind like i said is the authenticity of the performances and there yeah. is a very understandable sort of story behind why that is true um i love the ingenuity right because again they were operating with such a small budget really bare bones and yet they were able to really a, a big part of the ingenuity of the film is that lots of things you don't see it's talked about maybe you hear it right the the um like atmosphere the scary atmosphere is created it's so simple in what makes it scary because just the bare thought of being lost in the woods right not knowing where you are is already bare minimum terrifying and then you throw in this idea that there is a witch who is tormenting you and that there's some supernatural power keeping you lost the hopelessness in that that there is nothing you can do to get out of your current situation and the thought that you put yourself there right that's something that's so scary and unsettling and then of course also the power of the imagery of the final sequence when you see um michael's character standing in the corner and it is a perfect recreation of one of the myths about the Blair Witch that's talked about in the beginning um, where she would you know kill children she'd have them all in a room she'd have you know one of them stand in the corner while she killed the other and you just hear you know Heather's screams her screams are so believable and blood curdling and him standing in the corner i think anybody who has seen blair witch project can picture that frame in their mind right now it hits so hard and again it's so bare bones like how much do you have to do to shoot something like that right but still it just really resonates so i love how they took such simple you know imagery and tools and created something that you like you fill in the spaces they really trust their audience to create in their mind what scares them the most and i really really appreciate that about this film would it be fair to say that i i can now that you mentioned i cast these similarities between similarities between blair witch and uh one of your own projects uh right uh the horror film you made yeah yeah i suppose so i you know it's even if it's subconscious I, I could believe that. I could believe that. I think, um, you know, for, I mean, okay, I am unfortunately <laughs> highly critical of my first horror film that I made, though it is a great project. Um, I definitely think now that maybe some things were a little on the nose. I may have taken more um, advice from Max, you know, my DP, about how soon to show the creatures and everything like that. There were all these kinds of little details. Um, but definitely I wanted to create that atmosphere. You know, I feel like the, just the tone and the feeling that you get watching a horror film is so important. You know, you have to be in it and believing the worlds and Blair Witch Project certainly fucking does that. I'd hope that I did that to the best of my ability for my first film, but I'm excited for a future to, you know, go from what I learned and 
make better and better shit. You know, that's how it goes with, with making movies. You just make them and make them and make them. And then after a while, you're like, okay, we got this. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. By the way, hi, Max. Uh, he's a regular guest on this podcast. <laughs> so hopefully. Oh, okay. Max. Okay. Oh, I miss him, our sweet baby. Now let's dive into the facts. And anybody, feel free to jump in. While at the University of Central Florida, film students Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez realized that they found documentaries on the paranormal scarier than horror films, like narrative horror films. This realization gave them the idea to write a 35-page script for a mockumentary horror feature film, The Blair Witch Project. Am I getting this right? That's right. That's right. You're totally getting it right. Um, and of course, you know, basically it was just a general sort of outline for what was going to happen in the movie. But all of the dialogue when they're in the woods or talking to each other is fully improvised, um, mm -hmm. which again kind of lends itself to how realistic it feels. But yes, go on, go on. The reason for the relatively short script was so, as you said, the actors could improvise and create a sense of realism for the film. After placing a casting advertisement, Myrick, if I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, Myrick and Sanchez whittled down their choices from over 2,000 actors with strong improvisational skills. So that how many other actors did you say? Uh, 2,000. I know that they. Um casted uh, Joshua's character, both because he was good at improvising, but also because he understood how to operate a camera, right? Because he really is the one that is actually filming while they're going through the woods and doing all that shit. He's the one. So that was a big part of why they casted him. Um, and it's funny to think of like what their expectations must have been for the film and how far it was going to go, you know, these three actors and the entire cast and crew could have never known what this movie was going to mean for the film industry and the entire horror genre going forward. Um, maybe they had dreams and hopes, but it's so interesting to think that these three people that they casted must have just been like, okay, like, this is interesting. Let's give this a try. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is pretty loosey, motherfucking goosey. You know, we're just saying off the cuff shit but here we are i mean it's so funny how things happen that way it, it really created a different atmosphere for the film than uh than the than the uh horror films of yesteryear during the filming of the blair witch project the filmmakers had the actors look for messages in film cans that are placed in the woods of montgomery county in maryland those messages which were found by the actors using gps would tell the actors where the next filming location would be. Ooh. So basically, yeah. So basically, it was like <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, that, uh, uh, but but uh, but there's one more fact I'm going to give before we talk about what I want to talk about with Lizzie. Okay. The lengths that the filmmakers would go for realism was so extreme that they deprived their actors of food at night, just as the characters do within the film. Um, I'm just going to say it. Pardon my French. That's bullshit. How. Unfortunately, these actors were um, treated like shit during the production of this, and yeah. they were really treated like shit during the production and even after, after yeah. the film was, you know, distributed. Yeah. Um, and so from what I understand, you know, they had this GPS, they were thrown into the woods, they'd find, you know, milk crates, like you said, with director notes. Um, I thought it was film casters. Am I, am I wrong? 
Yes, yeah, film canisters, excuse me. One of the director's notes is, Heather, you're absolutely sure that to get out of this mess you go south? Don't take no for an answer. Or another note, um, Josh, somewhere along the way today, you've had it with this bullshit. And of course, you know, they weren't allowed to share these directing notes with each other. It was supposed to be, this is for you. This is going to, you know, sort of inform your performance and how you react to things. And then, you know, as the days went on, each crate had less and less food, right? Because this was also where they'd get the supplies. Um, because, yeah, the two directors wanted them to be hungry and tired and irritable. And the three actors do say that they became just very, very actually irritated with each other. They were fucking miserable. They were in the woods, you know, fucking hungry. And so a lot of the, you know, um, friction and animosity that you feel in the film is absolutely real. They were fucking fed up with each other, right? And that, I mean, that's that's not ethical, right? I think that maybe it could have been different if the three actors were told beforehand that this was the intention, because I know that actors will oftentimes go to strange lengths to get a performance. So if they had been like, hey, this is what you're kind of signing up for. We want you to be a little bit miserable because that'll inform your, you know, performance. I would get that, but I do not believe that was told to them because they just wanted, you know, that full authentic frustration. Um, and then, of course, you know, all the shit that you hear at night, like, uh, them shaking the tent and stuff like that. Basically, the two directors was just like, all right, y'all, like, go to sleep at night. If you hear some shit, wake up, turn on the camera, start acting. And I can only imagine, like, being in their position and, you know, working 24-7, um, being hungry and tired, and then you get woken up in the middle of the fucking night. It's like, not only are you having to be, like, on call to act at any moment, but probably they also liked that they knew that it would make the three actors more exhausted to be awoken in the middle of the night. Like, it just gets deeper and deeper. These poor babies. And it's so strange <laughs> to think. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. as much as I find it interesting, it's sad and a little bit disturbing. It's almost like it's this meta horror about the film. Because they're not just acting. They were having a fucking terrible time. Yeah. I I mean, gosh, you're right. Like, as somebody that really likes the film, that is bad news, you know, because it, it makes it harder to watch it realizing that it's so good because they were so miserable. <laughs> and to hear that they're mistreated afterwards as well. So, yeah. So like when probably... it finished, what the heck happened? We'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I need more story. If if I can if I can interject my opinion for a second, uh, sure, I just want to say I just want to say, um, actors who work with me, I'll feed you. <laughs> I'll I'll, I'll give myself that. God. I'll give myself that. Uh, I'm a cruel man, but not that cruel. <laughs> I know they're always talking about like craft services on sets, you know, yeah. snack table. As far as the eye can see, not for the Blair Witch, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Okay. And look how iconic that was. The 20 hours of raw footage that was shot for the film was cut down to the final 81-minute runtime. After screening the film in smaller film festivals for feedback, the Blair Witch Project was then submitted into Sundance Film Festival. 
The film was a surprise hit and was bought by Artisan Pictures for $1.1 million. In its nationwide release in America, The Blair Witch Project was the highest grossing film of its opening weekend. Um, and how, how much did the film end up costing, Lizzie? I've heard contradictory reports on this. How much did it cost to make? The, fi- the so, final, like, post-production. So, when I was doing my research, I found a lot of different numbers. Um, I kind of landed on about 60000 right? Yeah. Um, to make? About. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, to make, to make. The production, wow. round 60000 which, you know, if you know anything about film production, that is fucking nothing. Absolutely nothing. nothing. Yeah. And Even then, in 1999, course, that's nothing. Yep, and with U.S. release and everything outside of that, um, it made basically $248 million overall, all things considered. It was second place in the U.S. box office to, you know, a little film called The Sixth Sense. I don't know if wow. you've ever heard of it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was Brings right up behind that. Uh, the, yeah, no, 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 you may have seen it. Um, but it came in second place, and, uh, you know, what's so sad, unfortunately, I've talked about the mistreatment of these actors, is that, um, again, how much they were paid for the job, it, the number moves around, but it was like, you know, a thousand in the thousands for a yeah. film that ended up grossing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. But what's interesting is that they did end up getting a payout, but in kind of a roundabout way, they unfortunately made a second Blair Witch, not the 2016 remake, but a Blair Witch 2. It's garbage. It's worth a cringe watch, but it's garbage. And, (laughs) you know, they use the likenesses of these actors in that film, and the three actors um, were able to sue for their likenesses being used without their permission, and they each received an individual pay at about $4 million. So they did end up getting some, you know, money from the Blair Witch world, but the fact that they were treated like shit, and then the film did super well, and they just weren't paid for their time. It seems like these two fucking directors, Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez, you know, directors, producers, were maybe pieces of shit, you know, of course, and just... (laughs) For the record, the three actors were um, Heather Donahue, Joshua Leonard, and Michael C. Williams. They use their their actual names in mm-hmm. the film, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they end up getting a payout. But yeah, it's just, it's a big mess. And uh, Andrew, would you like to tell them a little bit about uh, how they kind of made some, you know. Exactly. The marketing is ridiculous. En- enlighten us. One reason for the Blair Witch Project's success was due to its marketing campaign, which made use of the early days of the internet to create a viral sensation. The advertising of the Blair Witch Project claimed that the film was an actual documentary. The marketing was so convincing that in the first year after the film was available, the Internet Movie Database, or IMDb for the kids these days, um, claimed that the actors of the film were, quote, missing, presumed dead. The actors in actuality are alive. They are. They are alive. They are not dead. And dude, the detail that yeah. they went into to make this seem real. So they literally made a 44-minute fake documentary 
called Sticks and Stones, an explanation of the Blair Witch legend. And in it, there is fully believable, fabricated news stories talking about the disappearance of the three, you know, quote unquote, disappearance of the three students. Um, there is articles, interviews with people about it. They show like footage from inside, you know, the FBI investigation, the tapes themselves and all the evidence that they have. And, uh, you know, I was actually watching it before we came on. And it's so funny because it starts and then there is the, you know, opening text on screen and it reads, in October 1994, three student filmmakers disappeared in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while shooting a documentary. A year later, their footage was found. And I loved seeing that because that was the beginning of an era. If you watch found footage horror, that is almost always right at the top. Some sort of text that is like, such and such happened, such and such bitches went missing here's the footage, you know, just that little <laughs> detail was such a thing. And I tell you what, so <laughs> in it, they're doing these, you know, fake interviews with people in the town who knew them, who went missing. And this one older woman in her house, she goes, I don't believe in ghosts or vampires or communists. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that little nugget. <laughs> One of these yeah, things is look. not like the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of these things is not fucking like the other. And then, um, so they did that, and they used um, a short snippet of that fake documentary to entice investors. Um, and then at some point, the investors ran with it and even did a fake investigative TV show episode that aired on cable TV investigating the disappearance of these three students. And then at the fucking film festivals (laughs) they would hand out missing persons flyers asking people to come forward with information so it's ridiculous to think that people were going to the theater thinking that this is real like when i think about the film if i thought this was real i would be fucked i would not be able to sleep and i'm sure there were million millions of people across the u.s who were unable to sleep and didn't go into the woods for a very long time after watching this movie it's kind of like the, uh, I, I'm going to totally date myself here. Uh, this is going to be like the Orson Welles War of the Worlds radio broadcast. Anybody, anybody get that at all? No? Mm-hmm. Okay. So essentially Orson Welles, he started out as a radio broadcaster, like a radio voice. And he did this for Halloween. He, he recreated H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds book, except he did it as like a real news program because there's there's no television back in, the, in those the 30s anyway that's it that's oh all I got. So, wow. so it was almost like like if there was a real emergency and yeah. there was a radio broadcast keeping people posted on the current alien invasion going on in the world that is lot, sick as fuck and a lot <laughs> yeah. of people a lot of pe- a lot of people thought it was real oh, like oh new jersey's God. been taken you know that kind of thing Oh, it's so what a brilliant like, thing to do for Halloween. Yeah. Way to go. I know. Them. Why are we fucking terrorizing people? The very people that we are also trying to entertain. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like legit terrorizing for entertainment. What a phenomenon. Huh. My God. Yeah. I guess that's just what we're looking for in horror. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Fuck us up. You know what I mean? Like, if the horror is good, I don't want to ever sleep again. I want to be, like, physically 
fucked <laughs> by this shit. Uh, but yeah, man, like, it's, yeah, this film, not only do I love it as a film, but what a fucking intense way that they did this. My yes. my um uncle Zach, he was one of the first people who told me before I knew any of this that when the Blair Witch came out, he believed it was real. And I'm kind of fucking envious. I have never in my life gotten to watch a scary movie thinking, you know what? Actually, scratch that. Y'all seen The Fourth Kind? <gasps> yes. The yeah. what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, so. That one yeah, tell afterwards. me. Tell yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so The Fourth Kind, I don't fucking know what year I, I, it came out. I've seen out. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes, so, you know, <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The Fourth Kind um, came out in 2009, has Mila fucking Jovovich, um, and it was also sort of presented as um, basically real documentary footage interspliced with um, a you know, recreation of what happened with, like, mm. actors. Um, and it is, you know, footage of people seemingly being, like, contacted by aliens, taken from their homes, possessed by aliens. Andrew, if you have not seen this, you have to see this. Because okay. when I watched this as a middle schooler, I fucking thought it was real. I was fully convinced it was real. So, yeah. honestly, I take that back. Like, the the tradition of convincing people that some, you know, horror movie is based on some real shit hath not ended. They are not done with us yet. <laughs> you see, I'm so dumb when I thought, when I was, uh, I thought Jaws was real. Um, like, like, like <laughs> I, I was like 12 and I went, I, that's, and, and that was the first time I was in Mexico by the, by the coast. I mean, the mm. only time I, and the only time I was in Mexico was I like mean, watching that's, Jaws that's with my cousins. when you Jaws when you are on the Mexican coast. Yes. What a time it, to be watching that movie. Why? Why? I mean, why? that definitely would make it easier to be believable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Anywho. God, honey bear. Wait, how how old were you at that point? Remind? Too old to be scared. Uh, 11, <laughs> 12. Oh, oh, oh. That's about the time that I watched The Fourth Kind. We were on different points of the planet Got it. getting scared shitless by different films at that exactly. time. So no shame. Absolutely no shame. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, boss. <laughs> uh, by the way, can I, can I, this is, this is totally random and has nothing to do with the overall point, but, uh, but uh, in terms of the marketing of the film, a 40 second mm -hmm. teaser for the Blair Witch Project was shown before the Phantom Menace in theaters. Oh, jeez. I just want to say that would not happen these days. I don't think because a, a, a like a like a indie a, like a like a sixty thousand dollar film with one of the highest you know I don't think it would happen. Anyway, yeah. what do you guys think? Yeah, no, that that's, that's really totally random. Interesting. I think maybe why is because um, again I would need to do a little bit more research, but I'm pretty sure once you know. Um, investors saw the film and the way that they were marketing it at music festivals they you know invested a lot of money into the marketing and so it maybe was at that point that it kind of earned its spot before the phantom menace because it was just taking the u.s by storm people believing it's real so much buzz going on you know but it is still fantastic that they were able to go from 
there, you know. Oh my god, I forgot to even fucking mention. <laughs> yes. So more juicy in, details. Yeah, no. So in pre-production, uh, to prepare for shooting, ten to fifteen members of the crew camped out at one of the director slash producers' houses in Maryland, Eduardo Sanchez's house, for six weeks, sleeping on couches, sleeping on the floor, basically a big, horrible, probably stinky slumber party to, you know, prepare for this film. So to think of all of them crammed in that house, sleeping on the couch, and then, you know, eight days of the actors and the directors and a couple crew members working 24 hours around the clock, fucking 20 hours of just all this shit, right? And it fucking panned out. Phantom Menace, bitch. Like, we made it. (laughs) We made it! You know what I mean? How long did it actually shoot for? Like the uh, film, the production. Yeah, how long were the three actors out there shooting? Eight days, a full eight days. Eight fucking days. Okay, eight days on a fun camping trip. You get home and become your bed. You know yes, what I mean? You're, so thank goodness. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I have never been camping. Uh, I thought about it when I was a kid and I'm so glad my parents didn't let me do that. Um, <laughs> the Blair Witch Project. Let's talk about the influence the Blair Witch Project has had. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It is popularized. I, I wouldn't say originated, but it's definitely popularized a subgenre of horror uh, to, to mainstream audiences, the horror mockumentary. Um, now there have been other horror mockumentaries uh cannibal holocaust is one i think that's from the 70s and i don't know the exact year but that's the 70s 80s um huh. but uh it's a mo- mockumentary it's it's not it's kind of not real it's very controversial um it's that's one of the first um but um here's a fun here's actually a fact that ties back to the blair witch project Horror mockumentaries have existed for almost as long as films have been around. One need no look further for proof of this than the 1922 film Haxon, Witchcraft Through the Ages. Haxon Films, the production company Meyer and Sanchez co-founded to make The Blair Witch Project, was named after that silent film. Oh, shit. Yeah. That is so interesting. Though, I'm going to be kind of an asshole. Go, Everybody, look out. Giant asshole coming through. Go for it. Uh, are we sure that Cannibal Holocaust or Blair Witch Project fall under mockumentary specifically? Because I looked up the doc- the I looked up the documentary. Please I looked do, up the do. definition, and it says a motion <laughs> picture or a television program that takes the form of a series documentary in order to satirize its subject mm. right? I feel like you know what I mean I don't believe that Cannibal Holocaust or Blair Witch Project are meant to be satire you know they're just fictional documentaries fictional movies in a documentary style I've always seen these films as being under the category of found footage horror rather because like mockumentary is like documentary now you know with like Bill Hader like literally yeah satire about documentaries you know (laughs) i just lost a bet and i owe a lot of money to that guy Um, (laughs) (laughs) and i'm leaving this in 
Uh, <laughs> thank you for thank you for correcting me. The facts need the thank. <clears throat> sorry, take two. The thank you for correcting me. The facts need to be put out there. Yeah. So I, uh, hats off to you. All good. All good. If I'm gonna correct somebody about anything, it's gonna be found footage, bitches, because this is yes. my shit. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um. So I'm 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 just gonna say, uh, and speaking of the influence, uh, because of the rugged DIY digital nature of the Blair Witch Project, not including the film parts, but it was shot it was shot on like digital early digital cameras. Uh, mm-hmm. Am I right on that, Lizzie? I believe Hi, so. Yeah, I do believe so. Mm-hmm. Because of the rugged DIY digital nature of the Blair Witch Project, other filmmakers after the film's release were clearly inspired to create their own horror found footage films. One need to look further than the Paranormal Activity series, Cloverfield, and Chronicle. Mm-hmm. Whatever you may think of the film, the Blair Witch Project's legacy persists. Yeah. It fucking does. And yeah. I love all three of those movies that you just named. I saw yeah. many of them in theaters when they came out. Um, if if anybody has vertigo, if you're very sensitive to vertigo, found footage is probably not for you. I know my yeah. Nana tried to see Cloverfield in theaters and she had to leave because, oh. you know, the camera's moving so much. And yeah. Um, But yeah, and I tell you what. I I went through a phase when I was like 19 years old of digging up as many found footage movies as I possibly could. Because what's so interesting about it is you can go on like HBO, Amazon Prime, whatever, and there are very obviously just student films streaming on these fancy ass, you know, billion dollar networks. Or whatever. And so it's just so interesting how found footage really has given this sort of avenue for, you know, the amateur filmmaker to break into distribution and really, you know, get your hands dirty with making movies, which is something that's really close to my heart. Um, A found footage movie series that has a bunch of installments and is so fucking good if you're into this is VHS. They've made like six now. They're amazing. Um, I'm obsessed with them. And uh, basically what they are is um, the idea is that it is a, you know, um, compilation of a bunch of haunted, you know, VHS tapes. Mm -hmm. So it's different directors and their different found footage horror movies kind of, you know, edited all together in this uh-huh. mosaic of found footage. So it, it keeps fresh constantly. There's always something new happening, you know, from through a different eye, different style, and it's creepy as fuck. So, yo, check out VHS. Um, the newest one, I believe VHS 84 or something is coming out. Um, they're not done yet. And so, yeah, I'm a little bit of a nerd about found footage movies, <laughs> admittedly. <laughs> I do. I love that you're talking about how it could be an entryway for a beginning filmmaker. Because, I mean, we all have our dreams and our, and our dream scripts. And most of them are way too expensive and way too much manpower for somebody who's just starting out to make happen. And so they just kind of sit on a shelf. And so if you're doing something like found footage, you can make a very interesting, very unique film that is very affordable i mean like we said sixty thousand dollars is nothing i mean you can get that saving up for a year between four people five people and you can make a movie without needing anything from anybody 
and that's totally. amazing that you can put that out there and then the fact that you these streaming platforms are allowing people to step on for i don't know what for some hope i'm assuming some kind of fee or whatever um it's amazing it's a great way to get your stuff out there and to officialize what you're doing absolutely absolutely though <laughs> what's funny is um there definitely is some uh very low quality found footage horror out there <laughs> and ready to be streamed um i think that you know it's it's a challenge to do what you know the Blair Witch Project did, because obviously movies like the ones, Andrew, you just mentioned, um, like Cloverfield, um, Paranormal Activity actually was another one that I believe was pretty low budget. I, I think mm -hmm. it was probably more than 60000 but it was pretty low budget. But like, uh, yeah, it takes it takes a lot of ingenuity and creativity to use, you know, those limited resources and really create a product that is fully scary, especially now that, uh, and I think that's something as artists that we deal with a lot is, you know, keeping our stories fresh, keeping the way that we, you know, tell them visually fresh. Um, but at this point, I also just really love the collaboration of time, how as people do things in new ways, all the art after it is just kind of like a mutant child of all the things prior you know it's mm -hmm. like we're constantly building on what we've already done and it's like we've we're collaborating with artists all the time that we've never even met i love being inspired by these kinds of things it's fantastic it's exhilarating and exciting to find something that's feels alive yeah mm -hmm. absolutely totally yeah and i also forgot to mention you know in the film they find teeth, right? Uh, mm -hmm, they find mm -hmm. like little that I believe um, those are the the teeth, like the wisdom teeth pulled from one of the directors, right? And then the hair is uh, Joshua Leonard's hair, one of the three actors. So they really put their, uh, you know, hair, teeth, and tears wow. into this film, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there I, are there any um like random legends about this movie like there is about poltergeist? Uh, or is it no. all just I know what you mean, but uh, yeah. I don't think I was just curious. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. But what's so funny about that question is like <laughs> It, there doesn't it doesn't even need to be haunted because the reality of the production yeah. itself is so horrifying although yeah. i know in the production of poltergeist you know what, andrew i think you were the one who fucking told me this what? that in the production of poltergeist they used a real like real skeletons yeah. in the scene in the end when they're in the like you know muddy pool hole or mm. whatever and how oh. you know people tend to think that that's kind of unethical again for me it's all consent like yeah. maybe yeah. people can donate their bodies to like the film industry yeah. thus they're like you know bones but you know who who knows if those those people yeah. consented to have their skeletons used for poltergeist i do not know yeah i um i think we should save that for another episode i've i've no um that is an excellent question, Ariana. Um, I don't have the yes. answer to that, to be honest, uh, because 
Uh, I, I, yeah, no, I. No, I think you're probably right. It was bad enough. You know, it didn't need an <laughs> no, extra yeah. curse on top of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Closing thoughts, guys. You know, one thing I don't actually know mm. is like how real the Blair Witch legend itself is. Mm. Funny enough, in all of my research, I didn't think to just see if there was a Blair Witch legend completely outside of the Blair Witch Project and everything that they fabricated for it, right? It could very well be that there was that legend and they just kind of took that folklore, myth, whatever, and rolled with it. I don't actually know, but I would be interested to know. Um, be hard yeah. to trust anything you find, though, huh? Exactly, at this point. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> I, I... I'm sure, look, I'm sure you read the same Wikipedia article I did, Lizzie. Um, yes, I did. <laughs> that, that, uh, that uh, by the way, guys, uh, listeners of this podcast, I look at Wikipedia for some of these sources. Sorry to ruin the magic. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, uh, they certainly, I know the filmmakers claimed they took uh, some legends from here and there and kind of amalgamated together, um, if that's a word, amalgamated. Oh, okay. But um, as to whether or not it was the Blair Witch, this specific legend, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I could believe that they just kind of, yeah, took from other legends but wanted to create their own. And you know what? Now that I think about it, they maybe had to do that because even though it was early in the days of the Internet and so it was a very particular niche time that you could pull this off – um, if they had just taken a legend that already existed and gone off of it, maybe that could have outed them a little bit. If somebody yeah. did some digging, right? The fact that they created it themselves really made it seem like this, you know, yeah, interesting, real legend that yeah. they were, you know, sort of showcasing for the first time. Just such a trip, man. The lengths that they went to. And if you have a chance, you can find the Sticks and Stones and Exploration of the Blair Witch Legend, the fake documentary on YouTube. And nice. it is believable as fuck. The news stories, <laughs> the FBI footage, the interviews, believable as fuck. I can't. I really want to go see that. That's That's next on my list before. Well, maybe not before I go to bed. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's definitely maybe a little bit boring if you know that it isn't real, but it's still a huge trip to, like, look at it through the eyes of somebody who would have been believing it, yeah. right? And then going to see the film. Oh, my God, the effects well, me, just yeah. fuck. Back in those days, it would have been, yeah. would have been something. Yeah, man. My my last thoughts is I am because as I was writing it down I I picked my favorite uh like screenshot that I saw and then my favorite um line that I heard. I want to know your guys's. Mine the there was a shot like right when they wake up the following day just when stuff starts to get weird and the camera it's like waking up into the daytime and you see Josh like laying down and you have a a freak out moment where we're like, oh my gosh, is he dead? And then it clears up and he smiles. And I mm-hmm. thought that was a genius way to freak us out and calm us down right like in the beginning of all the chaos. Like, oh, I know how this is going to go <laughs> with that uh, with that frame. 
it, like you have to have the little bit of the high note, like a little bit of a laugh before you really go down to the depths. Yeah. Yes, and it's so foreboding, you know, um, and that's a really good question, Ariana. I love that question um, because I think for me, obviously my favorite visual frame is the final frame with Michael's character standing in the corner that is so effective. But outside of that, I think my favorite part is um, some sound that they did because, yeah. you know, um, uh, is it Michael's Joshua's character at some point in the film, you know, goes missing. And then one night, Heather and Michael can hear him, you know, screaming in the distance. Um, and that part has always just landed with me, you know, the idea that you are hearing your friend who is missing ostensibly being tortured in the middle of nowhere, not knowing what the fuck is going on. And then, of course, the next morning they find his teeth and it just hits you like a ton of bricks that the sound you were hearing was his teeth being forcibly yanked from his skull by a fucking witch, it seems, you know. And then, of course, uh, oh, it's just so hard to choose because <laughs> when Heather gives that performance, right, that um, – classic screen grab that's on the movie itself where mm. her eyes are just crying her nose is running and she is just fully fully distraught and for a second it just hits you right in the fucking heart that they are in a hopeless and terrifying situation there are so many parts of this film where the reality of what they're going through is so tangible yeah god i love this movie yeah it's the i, I mean one of the words that was coming to mind at the beginning of our podcast was that it really, not to be too cliche, but the humanity of it is very, very present. You know, you can't help but relate with what they're going through. And it, it feels so real, like you said, because it's improvised. And it's intense the whole time how much you're like, I would be one of those people, most definitely. I Yeah, man. In my opinion, uh, the the most impressive aspect of this movie is the acting. Um, mm -hmm. I, 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 I was like, Heather was, a, she crushed it, right? I mean, yeah, she crushed it. Like what Lizzie's, act, yeah, uh, crushed it. Um, uh, audio listeners will have to switch over the YouTube uh, video. Um, but yeah, no, no I it. made that gesture specifically so they would both listen and watch. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Um, no, but, uh, yeah, uh, she crushed it and I, and it, 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 and, and the writing is great. I mean, you know, it, it, it really shows how much ingenuity can be, how much you can get done with creativity. No, absolutely. And I think that, you know, in some of the amateur found footage horror that I've seen, um, there isn't a very, there aren't very clear beats and a really clear um, escalation, right? But in the Blair Witch, the, the escalation is so well thought out, right? Yeah. Because first it's that they are lost, right? And then it is that the map has gone missing. And then it is that we find out one of them threw the map away. So they're yeah. getting angrier and angrier and more scared and more lost. And then, you know, Josh goes missing, 
right? And then they find his teeth. And even before that, they're finding, uh, so it's just so clear how it escalates and escalates and then finally gets to that climax at that house, right? Like, it's it's so cool how they were able to give it that solid, solid structure when they were doing a fully improvised film. You know, yes. those little pieces were, as much as those two dudes were assholes, they knew what the fuck they were doing. You know what I mean? How many times are artists going to be assholes and then make amazing art? This happens to us all the time. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it is right. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are talented assholes. And that's the tragedy of it all. Yeah. I'm one of them. I'm oh, <laughs> come on now. Don't say that. Did you uh, have the, oh, a favorite oh, line? Me. Andrew Reiterman, did you have a favorite line? <laughs> did I have Reiterman? <laughs> um, oh, uh, it, it's kind of a comedic line. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, uh, we know we're alive because we're smoking. <laughs> we'll know we'll be alive because we're smoking. And I'm like, that's 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 pretty that's funny uh, on on a few levels. I love that. That's your favorite line. Yeah, that that's at least that's the one that sticks out to me at the moment. It, it yeah. it's hard for me to remember lines of movies. It's I just remember the feeling of it. I I don't know. No, I uh, think you're right. I think the reason I'm asking is because I wrote it down while I was watching it. Yeah, no, so that's good. good it was the um, are you gonna write us a happy ending when he's filming Heather, and it's Josh and I. I might be wrong, but it might be the last line he says in the movie, because he disappears oh, the next morning, wow. and then she walks away and the camera goes down. He goes, "Are you gonna write us a happy ending?" This is why she's the critic. Oh. This is why she's the critic. So yeah, good. dude, that is so good. And, and I really do hope that that is the last thing he says, you know, because that would have been a really good edit, right? Because they filmed like 20 hours and they would have thought, okay, you know, the last thing he says is happy ending. Yeah. And then he's fucking gone. Yeah. Happy peace out, bro. You know, so that's that hit. Good shit, Ariana. <laughs> that shit hits. Yeah, that's why I was... Oh, epic when I heard it. It's right at yeah, the yeah, end, yeah. just when shit hits the horrible fan. <laughs> Unless there are more closing thoughts. Lizzie, where can people follow you? What do you have to promote? Oh my goodness. That is such a good question. Um, you can, honestly, right now, uh, basically my Instagram um, I'm at Lizzie Dancing again, Lizzie spelled L-I-Z-Z-I-E, um, and right now, you know, I haven't been making that many um, narrative films, I'm mostly focused on Super 8 filming, um, you know, I take just footage that I think is beautiful, avant-garde sort of style, and then overlay my poetry, my dictated poetry over it, um, and soon I will be releasing a music video, um, a Super 8 music video that I'm making for my friend Ed. He made this really beautiful um, acoustic guitar piece, and so I'm, I'm waiting for the film to get back. But yeah, if you want to see some of my Super 8 or random shit that I've made, Instagram Lizzie Dancing again. What up? <laughs> Elizabeth Whitfield, thank you so much for joining Behind the Flicks. We really hope you'll you'll come back. I I for I I was I'm thrilled to have you on. You were you are such a great guest. Wow. Ah, oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a treat, you know, 
podcasting for the first time and getting to see your beautiful faces again and just talk about shit that we love. We live and die by films in yes. here, man. So thank you so much for inviting me and having me. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Listeners, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, feel free to shoot us an email at independentcareerstudios at gmail.com. If you like this episode, please write a review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We'd love to hear your feedback. We're also now on Spotify. Behind the Flicks was created by myself and Ariana. Uh, I and Lizzie researched this episode. I wrote and edited this episode. My name is Aaron Gentile. This has been an independent Career Studios production. Thank you.